Good morning. Good morning, everyone. How are we? I think we are fine too. Well, finer than we've been in the last couple weeks, anyway. <laughs> so it's it's getting better. <clears throat> so we're going to continue our stroll through First John this morning. Um, anybody remember what it's about? I do, but I have notes. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. What? Abide. That's a big word in John. Abide in Jesus. Love. It's a, it's a book of contrast. And we were talking last week some about family resemblances. Do you remember what we were talking about with family resemblances? Come on, you were here, most of you. So what do I, what would, what would you think of whenever you hear the word family resemblance? Looking like, Looking like your parents. Or mannerisms. Or mannerisms, that's right. Um, so you can, uh, you can see those family, uh, family resemblances as the generations go through. All right. Um, well, let's pray, and then we'll, then we'll start. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us, and Father, thank you for gathering us together again in your house. Father, it's good to be among your people, uh, looking into your word. And so, Father, thank you for that word. Thank you for the guidance that it gives us. And uh, Father, I pray that you would teach us now that as we look into your word, that you would uh, strike it deep into our hearts. I pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. So last week, we ended up at the end of chapter 3. And I'll, um, this was kind of where we ended up last week. And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandment, commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So we talked about how um, that little passage there it has all the aspects of the Trinity in it. Um, he talks about the Son, Jesus Christ, and when he uses the term Jesus Christ, he's using both the human term Jesus and the divine term Christ. Um, talks about the, the love that they have for one another, uh, talks about the love that we're supposed to have in God, uh, we're abiding in God and God abides in us, and that um, by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So he gives us his spirit to reside in us uh, to, to, keep, um, to keep that knowledge alive. And he's uh, talking about not only uh, talking the talk, because it's easy to say we have faith. It's easy to say that we're a Christian, uh, but he's also talking about walking the walk. That makes it a little bit tougher to actually pay attention to what Jesus has taught us, pay attention to what Jesus has commanded us, and actually do it. Um, so we're going to be looking at that a little bit more today. Um, if someone could start us out with that passage. Yeah. 
So we have a huge advantage today um, in, in the realm of trying to determine what's true and, and what's false. What, what is that, do you, would you say? Just read it. <clears throat> the written word. We have God's word. They did not have that completed at that point. Um, we've got... Um, Scripture references, I mean, reference books. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds of reference books. We've got um, commentaries. We've got centuries of, of scholarly research. Um, so we've, we've got a lot of resources at our disposal now that they didn't have. Um, but that's also a scourge, and why would you think that that's a bad thing, too? We were talking about it just before. Well, yeah, we're not, a, not without excuse. We, we, we are going to be held responsible because we have those advantages. Well, it opens you up to many sources of misinterpretation. Exactly. Exactly. So just because somebody writes a commentary, does that mean he or she is writing the truth? Absolutely not. Um, so we still have to use discernment. We still have to use um, the scripture. Um, and I always tell people, especially if it's a, a new believer that I'm talking with, it's always a fair question. If someone is trying to convince you of something, to ask them, can you show me that in scripture? Can you help me understand where scripture teaches that? And, and look at that, and look at that for yourself. Anybody who is genuinely trying to teach you the word of God will not be offended by that question. Right, Pastor? <laughs> I mean, you want, that's the whole point. If you're really trying to teach the Word of God, that's the whole point is to get that person or to help that person understand what God says about whatever, that, whatever you're talking about. So that is not an unfair question. And um, if they can't answer that question or won't answer that question, um, be careful. Um, <clears throat> years ago, I was talking with um, a fellow who was pretty big in the Mormon church around here. And I noticed, one of the things that I noticed through my conversations with him, we had several lengthy conversations. Um, they don't know much about scripture. They know a lot about the Book of Mormon. They have a, uh, he had, and, and his, his family had a, um, a bound copy that had the, the King James Version and the Book of Mormon and one of their other books that they accept as scripture all bound together in the same volume, they didn't ever really go into the King James part. They didn't go into the Bible part. He spent all his time in the Book of Mormon. And so I was like, well, that, that part of it doesn't mean anything to me. Let's, let's talk about this part because you accept this as scripture too. Let's talk about this part. And so we had, had some conversations um, to my knowledge, I didn't convince him, and he certainly didn't convince me. So, we'll we'll let God, God God takes takes care of that. So, um, but in verse two it says, "By this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God." So, 
is that the, um, the only test that we need? Right. So I mean, it, so I think you know he's a little more specific. Right. That's not the only test, but it's one that's important for what they were doing. Right. So in this context, that that was a big that was a biggie. Um, it can be a biggie in our in our life too, because there are groups that that teach now that that Jesus did not come in the flesh. Um, what other tests might be appropriate in in different contexts? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And so a lot of times I think our challenge is, or you know, even the, the Muslims to a degree will, will say certain positive things about Jesus Christ, and you can kind of be lulled into a false sense of like, well, hey, they can't be all bad because they do have some positive <laughs> things to say or some true things to say. Right. So I think in our context, it's almost like, good, that's a great starting point. You know, we obviously want to kind of knock off the board anyone who explicitly denies Christ. But we also kind of have to dig a little bit deeper and say, okay, when you talk about Jesus, what exactly are you saying? And what do you mean? And what do you say about him? And what do you say about the cross? And what do you say about the resurrection? Kind of poking a little right. bit deeper rather than just saying, well, it's in the name. Yeah, check check that box. Yeah. Um, and, that, and that's true. That's... Um, just because they say the same words that we say does not mean that they mean the same things that we mean. Um, and that's something that I found. Just a, a good example of what Joel's talking about is in St. Louis where we lived for a time, there was a Mormon temple. So uh, when I was in the evangelism explosion up there, we had an opportunity to talk to a lot of Mormons. Now, those of you that have had ED, you know about the questionnaire that you need from time to time. They would nail it every time. <clears throat> they, they would answer the question perfectly every time. But when you started getting into what, what do you mean by this, then it would deviate. Right. So they they say the same words, but they mean different things with those same words. And so that's why it's very difficult to to have a conversation with someone who's really well schooled in in those theologies um, is because they know what words to say and they know what you're going to think whenever you hear those words but so they can kind of um, turn you around and get you to they can get you confused in a hurry So, again, even, it's sad to say, I wish we could just say, 
I could send anyone to any Presbyterian right. church and say, <laughs> go there, and it'll be a solid, Bible-believing church. But sadly, that's just not the case. And um, so again, all that, that's, I'm kind of hammering on this, but getting back to that whole idea, we have to test the spirits. Right. And, and we have to test what people are saying against God's word. It's not enough to just say, well, hey, this, this person is credentialed, this person has the right name, this person has the right thing. Uh, check me. You know, I, I hope I'm faithful to God's word, but I can get things wrong. So show me from the Bible if I am right. in error. It, it sharpens me, it teaches me. Well, um, so, again, it's, I'm kind of hitting the same point over and over. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that. Yeah, I mean, there needs to be a conversation. If I misunderstand what you say, then I need you to correct me. Or if I understand what you say and you've misinterpreted something or whatever, then, you know. So there needs to be a conversation. We can talk to each other, and, and that's, a, that's a fair thing if, if done in the right spirit. Um, but I also appreciate what you said, because if I have a friend who's a believer from another tradition, and they ask me what church I go to, <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not ashamed to say that I come to Pinewoods, but sometimes I have to stop and clarify what Presbyterian, because you know the news says that what what people think about if they just if that's all they know about Presbyterian Church is what they hear on the news they're thinking PCUSA, which of course is in the news for some kind of crazy stuff, but um, but I have to stop and say well this is PCA it's different <laughs> and. Uh, same thing with, I grew up in the Lutheran tradition, and, and I've said before, and I, I firmly believe it, um, I believe Martin Luther would demand to have his name taken off of most of the Lutheran church at this point, um, because they've gone so far from God's word that, um, that I, don't think he would, I don't think he would want his name associated with it. So, <clears throat> but we see here again that we have the spirit of the Antichrist that's, that's with us today. Uh, we have false prophets, so we have to be discerning. We have to ask questions. We have to have conversations. Um, and, of course, God's word is, is the standard that, that we hold up. And um, so everything has to, be, uh, has to be compared to that. Anybody else have any, com any comments on that part? How about if someone, how about if someone told you, and I'm saying this because someone has asked me this, how, how many times does God have to say it to make it true? And, and I agree with you, but I'm telling you, this is what some other, other people think. They'll read something in one passage, and they'll say, well, God said it, that's scripture. That's what God said in this passage. How many times does God have to say it in other passages before that one's true? And what they're doing, that's, I mean, that, that's a, that's a um, justification in their mind for taking passages out of context. Because right. that's usually what that is. Them, the scripture says there is no God. Right. But the passage 
passage says the fool says in his heart there is right. no God. And it's like he can take anything and twist it to mean right. whatever. So I, I think we can say, well, you know, I, I appreciate what you're saying, but, you know, context is king. Right. And, and that it's important. <laughs> I mean, you gotta you gotta pay attention to context. And, and the, in response to that, I would say, well, yes, God's word is true. He only saved something once, so maybe you are not understanding. Yeah, maybe <laughs> you're not interpreting this passage correctly. So let's let's put the blame on us, not on God. Right. Exactly. I think most Christians, when asked, they're believers. They just say yes. And I think that's what this passage is, is talking about, is Jesus as he truly is. Um, that same person that I was referring to also told me I was making too big of a deal about God's sovereignty because that's not mentioned in Scripture. The word that, the, the word God is sovereign is not in any passage. Well, God well that doesn't say sovereign. <clears throat> to me, it does. <laughs> so, and, and that just shows you how that, like, context is key. You got to watch out. Um, and uh, by the way, that person would go tooth and nail that they were Christian. One thing I'd like to say is um, you can argue with people all day long. Right. And it takes a certain humility, too. I mean, you've got to humble yourself before God, before the Spirit. Um, I can't rely on just my good sense to, to, make, to make those determinations and to understand what, what it is that, that he's saying. They can see. <laughs> Any other comments on that? We do have to remember that it does say that there are tares uh, among the wheat. Mm hmm. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that he was battling with. In, in his time in, in writing some of the things that he wrote is, you know, yeah, we, we all kind of look alike until you start seeing the, the fruit that comes or doesn't. Um, and so you gotta, you gotta get, 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 you gotta get the tares out. And this is... He wrote in Revelation, right? The seven churches. Yeah. And why is that? It's pretty short after yeah. the resurrection. What, why is the, why did the, the issues come in so quickly? Because they were 
it's that whole sin thing. If we could just get away from that, we might have something here. Right. We all we all want to have our little spin on on reality and on truth rather than right. Right. <clears throat> little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. He's talking about the ones with the spirit of the Antichrist. Therefore, they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Have you ever had a conversation with someone and, and felt like you were speaking a completely different language? It happens to me often for some reason. I don't know if I have a hard time communicating or what, but um, you know, they don't understand us and we don't understand them in a lot of ways. Um, I had a uh, listened to a lecture one time, and, and this guy that does a lot of apologetics was was talking about whenever he talks to an unbeliever, and I want to get y'all's response to this. When he talks to an unbeliever, he'll broach spiritual topics, and then he'll see what their response is. And the reason he does that is because of the passage, you know, that that where Jesus says, "My my sheep know my voice," and so if they don't. And he just kind of says, when you picture your sheep with the shepherd comes into the pasture, his shepherd comes into the pasture and starts talking, the sheep will lift up his head and try to find out where the shepherd is. If it's somebody else's shepherd that comes into the pasture and starts talking, the sheep's not going to pay any attention. So he says when he talks to an unbeliever and he's having a conversation and he just broaches spiritual things, he said if their head, you know, if they start looking around, then he'll go on. But if they ignore that spiritual aspect of whatever he's talking about or, you know, shut it down, then he just, you know, continues having a general conversation. What do you think about that? Is that a good approach? Or maybe not perk up, maybe just if you lay it out and they respond to that. Yeah. And they ask you about it. And or if they don't do it next time. Right. You know, I, I, I think that that's right. right. It's like you just never know when it's going to, to click. Right. But I think his point was, and I, I don't disagree with you, but I think, I, I think his point was if someone has absolutely no interest right. and it's a brick wall, yeah. are you going to you know, throw them to the floor and, you know, Preach to them while they're while you're you know, or are you just going to maintain the relationship, have the conversation you know general conversation, and then address it next time, maybe chip away a little bit next time.
Right. It's kind of hard to turn down. No. <laughs> I'll be visiting with my two sons in San Diego a little bit later this month for two full weeks. We'll have plenty of opportunity to talk to them. And in the past, as far as we've gotten is the acceptance of you know, God created the world. But when it comes to other things, sovereignty over heaven or whatever, it kind of ends right there because it's really hard to Savior part is hard for them to understand too, but they definitely believe in God. You know, look it up. See all the, the general revolution evidence. So uh, I just I just always believe in this. Well, I'll be praying for you. Yeah. Someday. Someday. Do you find it comforting or challenging whenever you think about having confidence before God? These passages that we've been reading talks about we can have confidence before God. Do you have confidence before God? I see some yeses. It's very humbling. It's humbling, yes. Um, because we know we can't have confidence on anything that we did. We, we can only have confidence uh, through what, what God has done. It's like you go someplace and you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. <laughs> The boss. And you go, well, so-and-so said it was a 
but you're still not supposed to be. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is. It is both uh, comforting and challenging. I think um, because because of that, it, it we we have been given such a precious gift. Uh, we'll talk more about that in a little while. But we've been given such such a precious gift that um, that sometimes it's just hard to believe yeah. that that God would give us that. sitting behind the bench with the big flags. But that's what I think of when I think of coming in, you know, the confidence we have in coming in the presence of God. We have this, like, there's this person with all this authority, but he's so excited that we came to be with him in that place, you know? And so it's it's great, with great joy that we come knowing he's so glad we're there with him, you know? And I think that's a pretty incredible part of us being, you know, but it, it's just... It was such a great picture for yeah. me that the Lord welcomes us into those places, you know. So you get to climb up into the judge's lap. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's pretty awesome. <clears throat> that is a great word picture um, for us to think about is that, that the judge wants us. Come, come. Come, come and get us. And um, so, I, to me, it can be it can be easy to you think about the grandeur and the glory of God and just the holiness of God and the purity of God. And you know, like Isaiah said, we kind of fall apart and say, you know, woe is me for I'm a man of unclean lips, I live among a people of unclean lips. But it's easy to forget that the same God of glory, the same Jesus who is the Christ, the King, the Anointed One, is also Jesus, our Savior, who is compassionate and gracious and does not give us what we deserve, but took our sins on the cross. And that, that whole dynamic really, I think, changes the way that we relate to God. I, I sometimes hear people who are not believers that I talk to who say, well, it's, it's arrogant to presume you know, that God would love you or want anything to do with you. And in a way, it is. without Jesus, that's totally true. Um, but because of Jesus, that radically alters our understanding of who God is and gives us the very confidence that, and, and assurance that, that we can belong. Um, not Because it's not about us, ultimately. It's about what Jesus has done for us in our place. Yeah. And, and I think that's goes to the, the spirit of truth that, that John talks about here. That's the spirit of truth that we have through, through his word and, and through what he's done. <clears throat> Steve, I got five more slides. You reckon we're gonna get through them? Okay. I'm thinking this might be the last one. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not know love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sin. Um, goes right along with what Pastor Joel was just, just saying. Um, that, that God is love, and uh, he made that love manifest among us by sending his son into the world so that we might live through him. So he sent his son to bring us into that, that place where we otherwise wouldn't belong and uh, bring us on in. So what's the difference in saying God is love and saying God is loving? What's the difference between those two sayings, two phrases? If there's a difference. Right. Right. You can't separate love from God's essence, the, the who he is. If you take love out, then he's no longer the God that we know of the Bible. Um, the Trinity. The Trinity, right. Yeah, the Trinity goes, goes away, everything goes away if you take love out of the, out of the picture. Right. And so for love to be part of sort of the, the characteristic of God before all creation, see, if, if God was sort of monopersonal, then he would only be loving in response to the created world and the created people. But if God is love within himself, it's, if it's a, in essence an essential part of his character, that presumes uh, multi-personality. Mm-hmm. I guess it could also mean one and two, but within the context of Scripture, that there there has to be more than one person in the Godhead. Otherwise, you could not truthfully say that God is love. Right, because that that love has to be expressed to another. Um, so if you say God is loving, well, we're loving. Most of us. Sorry, Steve, I didn't mean to look at you. <laughs> it also covers justice. People like to say, well, your God is so harsh. It does all these horrible things in the world that you, they like to point out. But you can't be loving without being just as well. Otherwise, you don't really care about the person. If you just let them go along and live their right. Yeah, you've got to do something with it. So how does that fit in when Jesus says, you must love your neighbor as yourself? Well, that's what the rest of the passage talks about in the one after this one. How does it fit in? I mean, you have to, right? We have to be loving because God is loving. And if we claim that we're in God's family, then that love is going to come out of us to other people. Is, right, right. So, is that does that answer what you're asking, or?
prayers. Right. I'm glad I'm not that guy. Right. 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 I I think I think that's that's accurate. I also think in my mind it's you live with the realization that that you're a sinner and you have been forgiven much, much more than any of us can ever imagine is is what I've been forgiven. So if someone sins against me, then who am I? to hold that against them because I've got to love them in the same manner to the, to the best of my ability in the same manner that God loves me. And he's forgiven me much more than anybody else has ever sinned against me. Does that make sense? Right. Then how is that helping? It's just allowing them to remain in that that awful state that they're in. Right. And there are some churches, you know, as Joel was articulating in a bit ago, where they're not going to offend anybody. Everybody just comes. We're not going to offend anybody. And uh, sometimes we do get to, if you will, offend to point out. Until I become perfect, I'm not going to be... Right. Well, I think if we remember that it's not up to me to correct someone, it's up to God's word. And so if I can bring God's word to someone and say, just like we were talking about earlier, it's always fair to say, can you help me understand where scripture teaches that? If you go to someone and you say, well, you know, you say you're a Christian, but I, I noticed that you know, you're doing this and that and the other thing, and this is what God's Word says about that. What, you know, can we talk? Um, it's a hard conversation. And, but you're right. I mean, people, we're, we're all blind to stump something in our own lives. And so that's, if we're loving to one another, then we will help that other person see what, what they're blind to. But we also have to do that with a spirit of humility, knowing that we're also just as bad of a sinner as they are. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it goes both ways there. Any other comments on that? We're going to leave it there for today. Um, one of the, the uh, author of the study had a quote from Piper, John Piper, love is from God the way heat is from fire or the way light is from the sun. Love belongs to God's nature. It's woven into who he is. It's part of what it means to be God. 
And so that's the, the family, family resemblance that we're looking for. That love should be shown through us. God's love should shine through us to, to those that are around us. All right. Steve, can you close us in prayer, please? salvation through Jesus Christ. And I ask this in Christ's name.